Good morning, church. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please stand with me as we come together and worship God through song. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. 
Okay, good morning. Welcome today, and welcome to our online, our growing online audience today because everybody's sick, okay? <laughs> okay, that's kind of how it works. So, so we're glad that you're here with us today. I want to make a couple of announcements. Uh, we're, we're going into a new year. Tomorrow's new, the new year. And so, uh, Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock, the, women, the women's, women on mission will be meeting over in the chapel Okay, so if you'll park on the north side of the building and walk right in there at 2 o'clock, they'd be glad that you join them. And then Wednesday night, over in the same place, in the chapel, but at 6.30 in the evening, we'll have prayer and share. That's where all of you guys get to come together. We get to go over our prayer sheet. So if you guys are aware of this, we have a prayer sheet. It's, it's set up on Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour. Everybody sends in requests. It gets printed up. It's in in the box back here and on the side and back here right as you go out the door you can grab one and pray for the people around if you want to add somebody when you get an email from the church just email us back with that prayer request and that works very well and we get those added and they'll be added on wednesday we'll pray for them we'll pray for them on thursday morning you'll get an added sheet there with that so we've got that going on and then next Sunday, all things go right, we'll have church council. For those of you involved, we'll have church council right after Sunday morning services. I also want to say that the office, Terry prints these up and gets these ready for us. It is the, the little folder for, um, for the month of January. Inside of that, you'll find the dates for things that go on during the month. You'll find contact information. You'll find the Right Now Media invite, the Bless Every Home invite. If you have questions about those, let us know. And it also has all the have you reads that you'll see up on the screen, and that's for the whole month. It actually starts with this week and then go, goes through the end of January. So we're excited about that. We're excited that you're here today. And uh, hey, we're having a New Year's Eve party early. Okay? And this suits most of us fine, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. So we're going to do the most important thing that we'll do this morning, and we're going to pray. Okay, Michael's going to come. Michael's one of our deacons. He's going to come and lead us in prayer. Good morning. And I do have to say this as we kind of look uh, next week when we come back, if you're not here during the week, it'll be 2024. Where has the last year gone? I'll just have to say that. So you know what? I'm glad we're all here today. Uh, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Julian, Father, just thank you for this day. Just thank you for the opportunity that we can come to come together today with other fellow believers and maybe those that haven't heard your word before. Uh, we just want to be with our congregation today as uh, the service, uh, the songs that we're going to sing, the message that you've laid upon Pastor Cliff's heart to share with us today. And if there's someone here that doesn't know you, hopefully through this um, 
through this worship time today, they'll have the opportunity to make that decision and grow closer with you. We just want to continue to be with our church family here and as 2023 wraps up and we get ready for 2024 and just continue to give us opportunities that we can minister to those people around us and those that are in our community. Just be with the tithes and offerings that people are going to give that they may also further your kingdom as well. In your name, amen. Please stand with me once again if you're able, and we'll continue to worship through song. Yes, I am 
my father's house there's a place for me i'm a child of god yes i am in my father's house there's a Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Oh, I am who you say I am. Yes, I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free. Oh, it's free. There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. We're singing how marvelous. He took 
my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. We're singing how marvelous, how wonderful singing how marvelous joy through the ages to sing of his love for me singing how marvelous We're going to walk from Christmas, the birth, and in the end of March, we're going to have Jesus out of the grave, right? On the cross and out of the grave. Um, the, two, the two points in, in the year that just resonate with Christianity. And so we're going to do those things. But I want to talk about in, in, the, in the between time, as we get ready to go to the cross and the resurrection and to celebrate that, 
I want to talk about the son of David, okay? The son of David. And what that means is that we're going to talk about King David. Okay, we're going to talk about King David. Although, today, we're not going to talk about King David. Okay? We're going to read scripture about leading up to King David. But we're going to study King David. Because what I want to talk about, and what I want to learn, and what I want us to learn together is because there's a reference between the two of them. In other words, what, what is the connection is what we're going to seek to answer in the next couple, couple weeks, next couple months probably. Um, what's the connection between David and Jesus? Okay, what's the, what's the connection? At the manger scene, there's an expectation of Jesus, the baby, as what? As a king. The wise men come or the magi come. Where, where is he who has been born? Executive director, manager, no, king of the Jews, okay? There's an expectation of that. And it's a, it's a Messiah that they're looking for. The Jews are looking for a Messiah. The Jews are looking for a Messiah. And so in that, what's a, what is the Messiah? What is the Messiah? When you, when you look that up, here's some simple definitions of what the Messiah was. Here's the first one. The anointed one, which appears in the Old Testament with reference to king, to a ruling king, David or Davidic. Okay, David or Davidic, in other words, a descendant of David. And so when, when we look at Jesus and we look at the Jewish people and we, we marvel at the fact that they don't get who Jesus is, it was because, it may have been because of what they were looking for in their Messiah and their idea of Messiah was King David. Okay, so that's what we're trying to work through as we understand who David is to maybe understand why they missed that and to understand what God truly meant as he talked about in the line of David. And here is another definition. It says the expectation for a king from the line of David. Both Matthew and Luke make a connection between David and Jesus. Okay, make that connection between David and Jesus. This is Luke 1.52. This was when the angel was speaking. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So as we read, as we've read the story of the birth, did you guys do that Christmas day? Did you read that? We did Christmas Eve. We had the service. We read that. And, and in that passage, it mentions, I will give him the throne of his father, David. And then in that section in Matthew, Matthew the first verse, when we're ready to, to find out about the Magi, when we open up Matthew chapter 1, all of a sudden there's all these names, right? You know, wow, I'm not so excited. But the very first verse opens up with this. It says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. So it ties, both books tie that in to David. They tie the baby Jesus, I'll leave him there, Okay, tie the baby Jesus in to King David. And then in Isaiah, we want to turn back because this is not a new thing. Why were they expecting Messiah in the line of David? Because God said that back through Isaiah in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government and of peace, or of peace, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. 
to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So you see, this was their messianic understanding. This was what they thought they were getting. And it's based on what they knew. When we look forward, often it's based on what we already know. And so as they look forward to the Messiah coming in the line of the throne of David, where are they referencing to? They're referencing to the earthly king named David. The David that we know from the scripture, the David that we're going to learn about as we walk through. That's the David that they knew, and that's kind of the David, the kind of king that they were expecting that God would raise up according to the prophecy in Isaiah. And even as they heard that spoken, their idea of a Messiah was not the idea of the Jesus that we know. Okay, they missed that. So, why David? Okay, why David? We'll talk next week, we're going to talk about the choosing of David. So, that's when David is introduced to us in chapter 16, is 1 Samuel. That's where we're going to, we're going to see why, we'll answer that question more why David. By the way, in your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Samuel 13 and 1 Samuel 15. Okay, that's where we're at this morning. So, why David? It's not so much why. I love this. And this is why I have a love for the Old Testament. Okay? My Old Testament professor was Dr. Gary Huckabee. Now, he was fresh out of the air, uh, he was out of the Air Force. He taught Blue Angels how to fly. Okay? So he's a pretty impressive in his in his time in the Air Force. He studied, and when he came to, to Hannibal LaGrange, he came in and gave me a love for the Old Testament. I didn't have that love before I, I introduced I still have the notes that he gave in class. And one of my favorite things that he said is what we see in the Old Testament is a foreshadow to what comes in the New Testament. You like pictures? How many of you like just reading directions without pictures? How well does that work for you? It doesn't always work out very well. If all I've got is instructions, it doesn't work out well. I told you the story about trying to plug the tire on the side of the interstate in St. Louis, down, at, down not very far, just south of the arch on Highway 44 and 70, where it all comes together there. And, and I'm sitting on the side of the road with instructions in 16 different languages, in very small print, in the dark. And I'm trying, and there are no pictures. I need pictures, folks. Okay? But what I understand of the idea of the foreshadow is what I get out of the Old Testament is pictures of what Jesus Christ is going to be. I get pictures of what heaven's going to be. I get pictures about the kingdom of God as I study all that messed up Old Testament where they fell short. But it helps me to understand. It gives me the pictures by which I can understand the New Testament. So when I ask that question, why David? It is, what did David bring to the table that was a foreshadow of Christ, a foreshadow of his kingdom, a foreshadow of the Messiah, so that I can understand it better? When I understand, the better I understand David, perhaps the better that I understand Christ and God's plan for us in Jesus Christ, okay, as the Messiah. So... In a couple weeks, you guys will have the opportunity to, to sign up for the, the, the uh, survey of the Bible. Randy's teaching that class. It's something that comes off of the Right Now Media, so you can watch it in line, and you can watch it in class, or however you want to do that. But you can be part of that class. We did the, and I still have the books if somebody wants them, 30 Days 
30 days, understanding the Bible in 30 days, okay? And it does. It's a workbook. takes you through the Bible and helps you understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in doing so, it gives you these periods. Now, this is what I got from my Old Testament professor. They do it a little bit different because they combine the kingdoms. So we have the period, there are eight periods in the Old Testament, eight periods there. So there's a period of beginnings. That means the creation, the flood, the sin, all that's in the period of the beginnings. And then the age of the patriarchs. Remember Abraham, we just read about him. Okay, that's the age of the patriarchs. A Abraham all, up, all the way up to Joseph. Then we have the Exodus, which includes... What's that guy's name? Moses, right? Okay, Moses is the one that leads them out, and we have that. And then we go into the period of the conquest, which is led by Moses' successor, which is named Joshua. Okay, he leads them across the Jordan River. They walk around the walls of Jericho, and eventually they fall down. Right? God gives them victory, and then the rest of that conquest is that time. The judges, which is, the, is considered to be the dark ages of Israel, they didn't have a king. God would raise up a judge because when you look at the period of the judges, it's, you can kind of understand it in the beginning chapter and you can watch it. It's a roller coaster, is how Old Testament professor described that, where you start out with the sin, the judgment, the repentance, and the deliverance. And fellows, folks, we do that on our own lives, right? We do that. We, we sin, God gets our attention, we repent. And God delivers us, takes us back to a better place. Wouldn't it be great if we just live in the deliverance part and not have to call out because we, we keep sinning? But that's the story of the judges, Samson, and, and the other judges that are mentioned throughout there. Then we go into um, the United Kingdom, and that's where we're at today. The United Kingdom is made up of three kings. Saul, the first king, and that's the guy that we're going to talk about today. Saul, then David, then Solomon. And then the kingdom splits, that's where we call the divided kingdom, splits with Rehoboam in the, in the south and Jeroboam in the north, and then they, they run their gamut through before they go off in exile. The northern kingdom gets carried away by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom gets carried away by the Babylonians into Babylon, and then we have the period of the exile, that's where they're in Babylon, that's the period of Daniel, the period of Ezekiel, etc., and then they come back into the land and that's where we read Ezra and Nehemiah. That's the restoration. So that in a nutshell, you guys just had a little nutshell of, of an overview of how that falls together. So when you're reading through the Old Testament, it doesn't always go chronologically. Matter of fact, those guys at the end, the Isaiah, the Jeremiah, the Amos, Zechariah, those guys, all prophets, they fall in one of these periods. Usually in the divided kingdom, the exile and restoration is where they fall at. And so just so you know that and you work through that, so if you're, not, if you're not signed up for the survey, I'd encourage you to do so, or come get the book from me, and we'll do that 30-day thing, okay? So you can take that. Saul was the first king of the monarchy in Israel. Huge task. Think about it. They've not had a king. They cover a wide range of terrain, and they didn't have automobiles or airplanes to get around with. They didn't have motorcycles, Okay? They have any, you know, they had to, they had to walk. They had to use a, a camel, whatever they used to get around there. And they're not all that fast. I mean, a camel can do an amazing thing. A camel can get from down up here, down to here, so you can actually get on the thing. All right, saw that when we were over in Israel. So that's how they would travel. 
And so you're covering a wide range, and you have neighbors around. And the neighbors around there, they didn't stay inside their territory. They wanted to come over and get your stuff. And they, you know, it, it kind of reminds you of, of, of daycare center, right? You know, it's just a free-for-all. Nothing's yours until you, unless you got it, okay? And that's kind of how it worked. Back then, they would raid one another's stuff. And so Saul's got to come together and put together a government, etc. Pull the arm, put together a standing army, because what they do is they just ring the bell and everybody would answer the call. Whoever felt like coming would come. Now they, he starts to put together an army, does that. His biggest conflict is with the Philistines. So what we want to read about is Saul's mistakes. Okay, this is what we're going to kind of cover in this. Saul did, Saul was, why, why was Saul king? Because God chose him to be king. He was a tall guy. He wasn't that proud. As a matter of fact, he hides when he gets announced as king. He doesn't really want to be king. But Samuel, God has sent Samuel last of the judges, and he says, this guy is going to be the king. And he chose Saul to be king. And Saul does a good job for a while of following God, of doing the right thing, of assembling the people together. But then Saul makes some mistakes. And thus we have the stage set. That's why we're talking about Saul today instead of David. I want to look at why, why David, because what was the reason that David became king? It wasn't because Saul died. It was because Saul sinned. Okay. So here we are in the 13th chapter of 1 Samuel, in the verse, verse 8. The Philistines, he's at, the Philistines are encamped. Matter of fact, one of my favorite chapters is following this. But here they are, they're camped out, and he's waiting because he needs the blessing. He wants the blessing of the Lord. And he's waiting for Samuel to show up. Now, Samuel hasn't arrived. How many of you like to wait? Yeah, we, we just went, we, we'll talk about this. We were just at Lambert's this last week, thanks to you guys. We were down in, in that area, went to Lambert's. It's like an hour long, the wait to get food. That's like, that's like another day, okay? None of us don't like to wait for that long. You know, how many of you walked up to a place before and they asked how long, how long is it going to be, 15 minutes? We'll go find someplace else, right? I mean, that's just the way that we work, right? We work that way. So we don't like to wait. So Saul has got all these people lined up, and they're not very patient. So let's read here in verse 8. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. That was not Saul's job. Saul wasn't appointed to be the priest. Saul wasn't appointed to do the offering. But yet, because he was impatient, and he saw that people were fleeing from him, they got tired of waiting with him. Seven days, Samuel said, I'll be there. And actually, when you read the next verse, he shows up. And by this time, it's already too late. You know, Saul's cut the pie. Saul started doing things that he shouldn't have done. And so Samuel shows up and chastises him for what he did. Because what he did was against God's word. 
against God's commands. He was supposed to be patient. Then we're going to skip on to the 15th chapter. And we're going to start in verse 3 because this is the instruction. You can read the rest of it this afternoon. You got tomorrow off. You can read some more of it tomorrow, okay? Here it goes. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Now Amalek is a people group. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. And do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman and child and infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. That's his instructions. So when you go into Amalek, what do you do? What do you save? Let me get, look, I'm just asking you guys, if you read that, that's your directions, what do you save? Now we're all going to be Saul because many times you went in to throw away a room and what did you do? How many of you cleaned out a drawer and didn't clean out the drawer? Right? You say, when you say you got done, what, what was happening there? The drawer was not empty, was it? But the drawer had stuff in there that you thought might be good, right? So listen to what Saul does, because Saul is you and I. Verse 13. We're going to read down to the, 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 the 23rd verse. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. In other words, what Saul says right here is what? I've done everything you told me. That's what your kids tell you. I made my, I cleaned up my room, right? Okay. Samuel said to Saul, Saul said, and blessed are you, blessed are, blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? In other words, as he's standing there and Saul says, I've done everything you commanded me. I can hear sheep. I can hear cows. I can hear oxen. Have them with you when you went into battle. Now you have them. Saul said they have been brought from they have been they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. Spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait and tell me what the Lord said to me last night. Wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the, the, the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then... Did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Now, let me stop here for a moment. So you understand, if you go back into the book of Exodus, and I don't remember the chapter now, but you can read about it. The Amalekites actually attacked the Israelites. And there's prophecy in the book of Numbers and in Leviticus, I believe it is, in the book of no in Deuteronomy, excuse me, that tell that this nation will be utterly destroyed. That's the prophecy that God gives. But it doesn't happen. When God sought to carry it out through Saul to wipe out Amalek, all of Amalek, everything, it doesn't happen. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? So then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. 
and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Stop there for a moment. Let's back up that slide there. Okay. As you read through here, there's a lot of things that tie in through the Scripture. I want you to understand that, that as we do things today, what seems like there are no repercussions today show up down the road. Honestly, they show up down the road. We need to be careful. When God commands us to do something, as he did Saul, then we need to pay attention to what we're doing and do everything that God says, not just part of it, and not our interpretation of it. I'm sure God would be more pleased if I would be disobedient and save the good stuff than by being obedient. That's Saul's logic, and oftentimes that's our own logic. Okay, in this passage of Scripture, you've brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. So this week, we went, courtesy of you guys, we were down in Branson. We went down to Branson to the Sight and Sound Theater. If you've not gone, I recommend you go. I'd recommend you see Esther, okay? We saw the show Esther put on, big deal, big stage. Just We've been to the Fox the Fox looks like a church drama compared to the Sight and Sound Theater, okay? Just the way that the setup is inside of this. It took them four and a half years to build. And so there are things that move and sound. That just, it just, you have to see it. So we're watching the story of Esther. And they introduce the bad guy whose name is Haman. Right? Haman. He's the bad guy. Haman is an Agagite. There's a little debate over it, but as we most, most of us understand, that he's a descendant of this Agag, the Amalekite. So what God meant to destroy during the reign of Saul was still around as part of the story of Esther. Apparently, when God carried out his prophecy. They made a big deal about the Agagite. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. A lot of times when we read through there and we read Haman and we try to pronounce who he's, who he's part of, his history, his lineage, you're going, oh, I can't even pronounce it. I don't know. You, you don't make that connection. But when we're reading through here and we're reading through what Saul did, what God asked him to do, what Saul did, and we read this about Agag, that's a connection to the book of Esther. You see, what we do now may have ramifications down the road and not good ramifications down the road. So we need to make choices that are wise according to how God has instructed us. Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoiled sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. Samuel said, has the Lord, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of of the Lord. Listen to the next sentence. Write this down and put it on your refrigerator. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. You could have, Samuel could have brought, or Saul could have brought in all of these animals. What God wanted most was obedience. What God wants most from us 
is our obedience. Learn that lesson. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. God raised, had the power to raise Saul up to make him king. Understand that no matter how great a king is, God also has the power to take the king down. God can raise up the nations. He raised up the, the, the Assyrians. He raised up the Babylonians. He raised up the, the Greeks. He raised up the Romans. And he also took all of them down. You need to understand that. He rejected you from being king. That failure of Saul sets the stage for David, okay? That failure sets the stage. The next chapter, the very next chapter, we're going to read it next week, just kind of a preview. We're going to read it. But David is the one chosen to be that replacement. God didn't hesitate. God replaced him. God replaced him. So that's what we look at. The failure sets the stage. Now, I want you to understand, oftentimes when we look at our life around us, we look at even when we look at biblical history, we tend, we can take God out of it. Or we can put God in it and we kind of minimize that God portion of it. I want you to understand we can use that word failure on Saul's part because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. That's what we would term failure. But I want you to take it a step deeper, a step further. It's not failure is sin in this case. Because what was it? It was disobedience to God. That's what happened in that passage of Scripture. It was disobedience to God. God asked him, simple enough, I don't want you to save anything. Just go, you don't have to look. We went fishing. I went gigging one year with Lisa's folks. And you got to stand on the front of the boat in the dark with the light moving and not hit the wrong fish. That's hard. Now, if I could just hit any fish, I was all for it. But now I gotta look, I gotta look at it as it's moving and decide quick enough whether it's the kind of fish we're supposed to stab with the spear that you can't really hit moving anyway. My idea of fishing was sitting on the bank, okay, throwing it in and not looking for the fish. And I want the fish to come looking for me. That's God gave Saul that command. Go. I don't you don't need to you don't need to pick anything up and check it out and say, I wonder if this would be good. It's not good, just demolish it, destroy it, kill it. That's all that God asked you to do. That's God's instructions. But he disobeyed that. That's sin. Okay? So sin produced the need for a new king. Sin produced the the, the need for a new king. He was disobedient. Did you notice? Did you guys take any lessons? Did you notice what Saul did with all of his sin when he offered the sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to? And then when he kept the stuff that he, didn't, he wasn't supposed to? What did he do in both cases? He justified it, didn't he? He gave an excuse. Hey, look, all the people were starting to desert me. You weren't here when you were supposed to be here, and so I just did what I needed to do. How can you fault me for doing what I needed to do? 
How many of us have justified that very same thing, justified our sin? And then when he, he's all proud of himself, as he's standing there before Samuel says, what's this bleeding and the lowing of the oxen? What's Saul do? He takes his arm and he goes, hey, we saved the good stuff so we could offer a sacrifice up to God. Isn't that wonderful? No. But you see what Saul did in that? He justified his sin. How often do we justify our own sins? How often do we justify our own sins? His sin set the need or produced the need for a new king. Let's go back to Jesus. Let's make these two stories connect. Why did we need the word, God himself, the Son? Why did he need to step out of heaven and come down to a manger. Our sin sets the stage for the reason why we celebrate Christmas and Easter. You see that? As we understand David, the need was for David was produced because of sin. Sin of one man. As we celebrate Christmas, as we look forward to celebrating the resurrection, what brought that about was my sin and your sin. Jesus had to come down because of our sin. He loved you enough to come down from his throne to do for you what you could not do, to sacrifice his body to shed his blood that you might have the remission of sins, that you might have the opportunity to be forgiven. I know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I ask Jesus to forgive me my sins. I've asked him to be my Savior. I've recognized that eternal gift that is offered to us for the asking. I'm asking you today, if you have not done that, to understand that Jesus came because of your sin and provides the only way that your sin might be covered through his blood. And I'm offering to you eternal life, not that I have, but that Jesus offers to you. Here's your action step for this week. What am I going to do with what I just learned? I want you to think about this. As we looked at Saul here, Saul justified his sins. My question to you is, what sin have you justified? Because it's time to walk away from justifying that sin and seek God out and repent. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, and you're going to have the invitation open. If you need to come accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you come do that. If you need to come and do something else, you want to pray for somebody else that doesn't know Jesus, you can do that. If you want to come and join a, and be a member of this church through transfer membership, through baptism, whatever it might be, then you make that move. If you want to be, if God's called you to do something, we want to celebrate that. And we want to pray with you. We want to, we want to pray for you. Let's stand. Alone, my 
hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of christ i live there in the ground his body lay light of the world my darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of christ No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of christ i'll stand all right let's pray and stay where you're at when i get done praying okay till he returns or calls me home here in the power of christ i'll stand father we just come to you in prayer lord help us to stand in your power Father, help us to be a light to this world. Help us to be obedient as we walk through this next week, as we walk through the remainder of this day, Lord. Father, we just pray that we'd be pleasing in your sight. And Father, that you would use us to share your love with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the have you reads for this week up on the screen. And I'm going to invite Charlie up here. Charlie has something he wants to say. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> if I could have uh, Terry come up and uh, Vicki, and Adam's already up here. Okay. We
we as a church really appreciate our staff. And uh, we should have done this last week, but uh, we didn't. <laughs> but we're going to do it right now. Okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, did everybody see Richard's new truck? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <clears throat> okay. So this is just a small token of our appreciation for what you do for God here at this church. And uh, we appreciate our newest employee, Ms. Terry Smith, and our secretary. I appreciate you guys. Okay. <laughs> On behalf of all of us, I respect we, we want to say thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. We we appreciate you guys. Okay. We wouldn't be here without you. And we appreciate you guys. We're working together for the kingdom of God. Let's go do that work this week. So thank you guys. <laughs>